We're up to Deuteronomy 26. It shall be that when you come into the land which Yahweh your God gives you for an inheritance, possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you shall bring in from your land that Yahweh your God gives you, you shall put it in a basket, and then go to the place that Yahweh your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. You shall come to the priest who shall be in those days and tell him, I profess today to Yahweh your God that I have come to the land which Yahweh swore to our fathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket out of your hand and shall set it down before Yahweh your God's altar. You shall answer and say before Yahweh your God, My father was a Syrian, ready to perish. He went down into Egypt and lived there, few in number. There he became a great, mighty and populous nation. The Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us and imposed hard labour on us. Then we cried to Yahweh, the God of our fathers. Yahweh heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and with wonders. And he has brought us into this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, Yahweh, have given me. You shall set it down before Yahweh your God and worship before Yahweh your God. You shall rejoice in all the good which Yahweh your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the foreigner who is among you. When you have finished tithing all the tithe of your increase in the third year, which is the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the foreigner, to the fatherless and to the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled. You shall say before Yahweh your God, I have put away the holy things out of my house, and also have given them to the Levite, to the foreigner, to the fatherless and to the widow, according to all your commandment which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of it in my morning, neither have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor given of it for the dead. I have listened to Yahweh my God's voice, I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. Today Yahweh your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore keep and do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that Yahweh is your God and that you would walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments and his ordinances and listen to his voice. Yahweh has declared today that you are a people for his possession, as he has promised you, and that you should keep all his commandments. He will make you high above all nations that he has made in praise, in name and in honour, that you may be a holy people to Yahweh your God as he has spoken." This chapter has three things. The first of all was a commandment about um, bringing in the first fruits. And uh, the second thing was about the tithe that had to be given to the poor. And the third thing was a thing we call, uh, well, it was kind of a transition point. In the last few verses of that chapter, it transitioned into the key part of what's called a suzerainty treaty. We'll talk about that in a minute.
But at the start of this chapter, there was this um, process where when a person was in the land and they had received first fruits from their ground, they had to bring it to the priest and they had to present it and they had to say this certain thing that started out with this phrase. And you heard me read it. My father was a Syrian ready to perish. You know, and then he, he went down to Egypt and became a mighty nation. And so they had to recite this thing, which was kind of like concise history of all that God had done for them until this moment. And then they had to give the first fruits as a sign of remembering and appreciation and gratitude. So that's, that's great. And first fruits are a thing we won't really talk about in this video. But I wanted to mention the phrase that started with, my father was a Syrian ready to perish. Now, they're talking about Abraham. And you'd say to yourself, well, hang on. <laughs> Abraham wasn't a Syrian. True. You may recall this from a different version of the Bible where this was translated, my father was a wandering Aramean. And then if you're sharp, you would say, well, hang on. He wasn't an Aramean either. Abraham came from Babylon from Ur of the Chaldees. So this particular passage, which was translated in the World English Bible as Syrian, so in this version, the, the, you know, the translators have translated it as Assyrian. In other versions, they've translated it as Aramean. So it's either Aramean or Syrian in the translation, but we know that Abraham actually came from Babylon. So this is where skeptics of the Bible, they jump in and say, aha! The Bible is wrong. <laughs> well, you know, people are always so quick to try to find something that's wrong. First of all, the Syrian translation, which we've just read, it's just an alternate way of saying an Aramean. The truth is that the proper translation is Aramean. But how do you reconcile that, you know, the Bible says he's an Aramean, but we know he came from Babylon? Well, it's very, very simple. Abraham actually was an Aramean, but he was living in Babylon. It's a little bit like, you know, my wife. She's an American, but she's living in Australia. <laughs> you could say, you know, one of my kids could say, my mother is a traveling American. Completely true. The fact that she lives in Rockhampton is, is just, it's an aside point. She's an American. Of course, now she's become a citizen, so now she's also an Australian. But Abraham... Uh, his whole family was from Aram. And in the book of Genesis, we went through all those videos. You'll remember that there was a point where Abraham wanted to get his son, Isaac, a wife. And he said, let me not get her, him a wife from around here. Let me send my servant to my family and get a wife from there. And where did he send his servant to? Not Babylon, to Aram. No, he was an Aramean but he just happened to be living in Babylon. And so that clears up the confusion straight away. It's not, the Bible isn't wrong at all. The Bible is correct. The Bible's always so accurate. And if we don't understand something, it's because we don't understand the, the specifics of the, the scene. But no, Abraham's father, Terah, he moved the whole family to, to Ur of the Chaldees. And that's why the Bible said to Abraham, leave the land of your father, or leave your father's land, which is where Terah was living in Babylon, and go to a land I will show you. So yes, Abraham's father was living in Babylon, but Abraham's father's brothers 
they weren't living in Babylon, the whole family was in Aram. So there's no, there's no discrepancy at all. So if you come across these little things in the Bible, for me, it's the mystery of working out, working it out. It's not that I question the Bible at all. There's no reason to question the Bible. But when we come across these little things, it just is an opportunity to learn more. In the middle section of this chapter, it talked about tithing, and it said that in the third year, they had to tithe, and they had to give it to the poor, to the alien, the strangers, the widows, the fatherless. So in our time, you know, today, in our modern era, we tithe, and we give our tithes to the church, and the church does often do some of these things, gives to the poor, but, but we live in a society, at least in Australia we do, where there's social security, the poor are really well looked after. But back in these times, the poor weren't looked after at all. But the Lord here made sure that the poor were taken care of. Now in our society, only a small fraction of people go to church and tithe. You know, only about 5% of Australians attend church regularly. And of all the people that attend church, only a smaller percentage of them regularly tithe. Well, that's, you know, that helps churches to continue their ministry. But can you imagine if the whole of Australia tithed, just like in the land of Israel in these days, um, they were supposed to go into the promised land and they were supposed to all tithe, an entire nation. Can you imagine the wealth that would be available for good causes if an entire nation tithed? It'd be profound. Well, you can't say that caring for the poor and for the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the foreigner, that all these things didn't begin with the Lord. In ancient history and in ancient culture, there's nowhere where people were told to care for the poor except for right here in the Bible, in the Holy Scriptures. And so all the, the, the care that we have today for people, it goes right back to the Bible and to this third year tithe. It's wonderful. And by the way, tithing is biblical. It's obviously in the Bible, but some people say, oh, it's, it's, it's a part of the law and we don't have to do it anymore. And in a sense, they're correct because we're under grace. But the tithing actually goes back to before the law. It goes back to Abraham in, in Genesis, and we talked about it back then. And so when we tithe, we do so from grace. We do so from a position of wanting to tithe, not because we're under legalism, but because we love the Lord and we want to serve him. So that's tithing. Now, in the last three chapters, the last three verses of this chapter, it, get, it gets to a key turning point in the whole book of Deuteronomy. Now, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a big speech, that's true, but it's also a thing called a suzerainty treaty. Now, technical people and scholars, they discuss these things. But in the ancient Near East, there was this thing called a suzerainty treaty, where suzerain, or like a, a sovereign or a king or a leader, would make a treaty with a people and basically, he would say to them, I'm your leader, you're my people, and these are the terms of the deal. I'll look after you, but you do this for me. You have to, you know, give me tribute every year. You have to, you know, a certain number of you might have to be in my army. And there are various terms. So a suzerainty treaty would be this arrangement between a monarch and people, where and usually a conquered people. So a monarch would come on with his army and conquer a land, make this deal, and then as long as they followed the deal, the, the sovereign would follow his side of the deal. And then there'd be usually, they'd, they'd go through all the terms. You know, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. 
Then after the terms, everyone would agree to the terms, and we're about to go through, the, we're about to start the agreement process of this treaty. The whole book of Deuteronomy has really been the terms. The Lord's saying things like what we've just read. In the third year, your tithe will be for the poor. So you may not have noticed as we were going through the grand speech of Moses, but there were all these terms of the treaty, which we call the law of God. And what God was saying to his people is, I'm your leader, and this is what you need to do for me, and this is what I'm going to do for you. And we're now getting to this turning point where they're now going to go through, first of all, sanctions and agreement. So sanctions is going to be what happens if they don't keep their terms. And that's we're going to discover that in Deuteronomy 28, in two chapters' time. And the agreement of it we're going to cover in the next chapter as well. So we get to verses 16 to 19, and we have this turning point. And so the Lord is really their sovereign. And it made sense to people. You know, you'd say, why did God do it this way? Well, God did it this way because all around them were nations and people. It was a thing that they understood. And the Lord always tries to start with something people understood and then bring them through to the understanding that he wants them to have. And that's why the Lord has used so many physical things to teach us things about him that are not physical. So, for example, God's used marriage to teach us that we are the bride of Christ. And there's lots and lots of examples like that. And so this here, in fact, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a suzerainty treaty. Now, but there's one big difference, and I think it's a wonderful big difference. The Lord is relational. So, you know, in the ancient Near East, if a king made a treaty with someone, it, it, he didn't really care about them at all. He only cared about locking that nation in to make sure that, that, that you know, what he, he, he was trying to protect his own interests. But he didn't really care about any of the individual people or even the system as a whole, except as far as it affected him. Whereas the Lord, he's so relational. And he does it because he cares about the people. He's trying to lock in something for their good, not for his own good. Everything the Lord does is so selfless. And um, he's, he's not thinking of himself, he's thinking of the others. And so the, the Lord's treaty, the Lord's covenant, it's supposed to be a covenant of the heart, even though it was written down in stone like the Ten Commandments and it was written down in writing like the Book of the Law. It was written down and it was formal and the people agreed to it in a formal way, but it was always supposed to be a thing of the heart. And later on in, the New in, uh, in Jeremiah, he prophesied, and later on in the New Testament, we have the new covenant and it is a thing of the heart. The law is written on our hearts. But this is where it begins, right back here in the Old Testament with the Lord showing us the type of God he is. He wants to be our leader. He wants us to come into this life-giving relationship with him and if we do, we find great blessing in it. So Lord, we acknowledge that you want to give us life, that you want to be our Lord and our sovereign and our ruler. And that's what, that was what you were extending to the Israelites. And that's what you've extended to us. And that's what you extend to all people. And we choose to receive it. Lord, we choose to receive your life. We choose to receive your blessing and help us to follow you with a whole heart, with the law written on our heart, always wanting what you have. In the name of Jesus, amen.